Hello everyone and welcome to Discussions in Tunbridge Wells, the podcast produced by the Salomons Institute for Applied Psychology in Tunbridge Wells. Now we haven't been out on the pod sphere for a very long time. We haven't done really much, really all over lockdown actually for, for various reasons, but I'm really, really pleased to say that we're able to reconvene. Slightly different group, though most of our previous group of podcasters are still around, but I'll just introduce um, the combination of current staff and previous trainees just in the order that you're on my screen. Gina, would you, do you want to say something? Sure. Hi everyone. Um, my name is Gina Harwood and I'm a clinical psychologist currently working in Harrow um, in the crisis team. So in the crisis team and psych liaison, so across the crisis pathway there. Lauren. Hi everyone, I'm Lauren Bryan. I'm currently working in CAM services in South London. So it's nice to be here and to catch up with Salomon's people. Well, super fans of the podcast are ones with very long memories uh, may remember that Lauren has actually been on this podcast before other than me the one person that has been on it before it was a while ago though everything seems like a while ago just at this point after Covid and Al. I'm Alan Heaven wady uh, I'm a clinical and academic tutor at Simons and a clinical psychologist with a special interest in working with people with long-term health conditions. Today thank you everyone today you suggested this out uh, what we're going to have a chat about is superheroes what um you know what do they mean to us what are they good for what are they bad for and you suggested this originally out but uh, and we approached you Gina and you were interested and you were also interested Lauren as well which was really great to hear but I just I suppose just kicking off I was just wondering what what was the thing that sparked your interest uh, any of you I mean I kind of know I know why I was sort of interested in it but why why were why were you interested in, in just having a chat about about superheroes shall I kick things off as I nominated it as a as a subject okay so I think partly this is an opportunity for me just to unleash my inner nerd I've I've had an interest in in superheroes and uh and all things sort of uh sci-fi uh, since being a child but one of the things that uh, John and I were discussing when, when talking about putting the podcast uh, back together is having something where we can talk about some larger cultural themes that actually apply both to people in general and to people um, experiencing mental distress. And um, it struck me throughout my career that there is um, lots of opportunities to consider how superhero mythology, um, ideas and tropes uh, from popular culture in general can really be applicable to the therapy room um, and be a way in for people that might find it difficult for them to talk about their their struggles. What about you, Gina and Lauren? Because some of that really resonates with me, but what, what, what sort of sparked you about it? Because, you know, we asked you, but you said yes immediately, actually, <laughs> and there was no, no real hesitation. Yeah, I think for me, similar to Al, <laughs> in the sense that I am a massive nerd. Um, and I think when I was a child, I have lots of memories of, you know, being dressed up as Batman from a very young age and it being this kind of, yeah, this kind of escape and, you know, a lot to do with kind of imagination and play. And I think there was something really kind of fascinating about it when I was younger and then I think it's something that has just kind of stayed with me as I've gotten older you know enjoying all the Marvel films and taking an interest in it and I think that 
yeah, there are lots of opportunities in terms of the types of stories that get told within sort of superhero movies to kind of think psychologically, I suppose, and think about the resonance that certain stories might have for the people that we work with or for ourselves, you know, mm. and why we might be drawn to particular, you know, superheroes or particular stories at, at different times. So I think for me, it's like that convergence of kind of personal interest and then professional curiosity. And so when you said you were doing a podcast about that, I thought that, you know, <laughs> that's sort of made sense to me. Does that cover it for you, Lauren, as as well? I think it's a bit different because I think in contrast to Gina and Al, I think I'm a bit of like a late bloomer when it comes to (laughs) superheroes and that kind of whole universe. And I was reflecting on this, whether that was slightly gendered because I come from a predominantly like female heavy family or whether that was partly cultural in terms of like my heritage. I, I don't know why my exposure to that kind of, yeah, area and genre came much later um, and that's interesting to reflect upon about yeah thinking about things about who things are accessible to but Mm. kind of linking to what you're saying about some of the themes and how that connects to the work that we do in terms of clinically or work that we do in in systems or some of the narratives that we we have out yeah I was quite intrigued in terms of having those discussions together and to kind of draw on my my limited I, I can't claim to be a kind of super fan I, I won't always get it right in terms of the difference between Marvel and DC I might don't want to offend anyone who's like a diehard um fan. <laughs> don't want to cause any controversy I did look up before to make sure that I you know try to get my names and things right but yeah just kind of thinking as you said Al about how it links to to some of the things that might come up for us and and Mm. to kind of take that those discussions yeah and apply them to the world of clinical psychology and and beyond I guess the Mm. the, our whole human experience yeah yeah I I I also that all of those things kind of resonate for me in 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 different ways I mean I certainly was very very keen on superheroes I probably had you know quite a kind of complex um, childhood in some ways really I guess looking back on it though of course it seemed very normal at the time but I do remember superheroes particularly and I've been sitting here listening to you trying to think about okay what's it dif- what's different about superheroes from other sort of fiction that I liked or other fantasy fiction that I liked and obviously they were sort of you know there are some overlaps but there was something there were there were some things that were very particular I think about about superhero um, tropes and superhero culture I mean obviously part of it was the you know was the superpowers really but there were other things too you know it was grounded in you know groups of kind of outsiders often and, and things like that so what's different what's different I suppose is, is one of my questions what's different about superheroes from other forms of fiction or other forms of even even fantasy really because I do think we're talking about something quite distinct so I'm wondering what some of the ingredients of that are oh gosh that's a good question um I, I think increasingly there are probably fewer differences between uh, a lot of pop culture fiction and, and superheroes I'm thinking about um so sort of push back a little bit, John, on what you're saying there about uh, uh, you think about Harry Potter, or we think about um, Star Wars, another you know two other huge franchises which are based on this idea of people with fantastical powers that can do amazing things. And I think at one level the superhero 
genre really um, it's a sort of modern version of Greek mythology and, and that's where the original sort of superheroes came from with their fantastical abilities and things they could do and I think at one level, a simple level it's probably something around wish fulfillment so this idea about being able to escape the bounds of reality defend ourselves um, I'm thinking about for example um, children that might experience bullying that might have a sense of wanting to use a superhero to fly away or go invisible or be able to defeat their enemies with a with a single punch or something like this, right? Um, so at that, at that sort of simplistic level, I think that there is that something about wish fulfillment. But I think there's something else that happens in the superhero uh, sort of universes where the superheroes are challenged in particular ways that really are more about in the moral dimension about how do I confront uh, difficulties? What choices do I have to make about the fact that I have these powers, these responsibilities to other people? What does it mean to, to be heroic? Um, and how can I um, use what I have in a way that's actually going to be constructive rather than destructive? And I think that's where we get into some really interesting sort of areas and tropes, psychologically speaking. Well, I, I suppose I was just thinking about what you said. Yes, there are other um you know other forms of fantasy and I suppose I'm thinking about something that my wife says to me quite a lot about needing a kind of you know every man character I mean obviously Harry Potter's here kind of every you know you're kind of every man but that's in all sorts of stories really uh, even you know things like Lord of the Rings which are right out there there's this kind of conduit to you, you know a, a kind of more you know identifiable reality within them and I suppose that was something about the wish fulfillment with superheroes to an extent certainly the marvel ones that i liked so much when i was a, a a kid was that you know people had these incredible abilities you know you could swell up and be you know you know 100 pounds of green or a thousand pounds or whatever the strap line was for the hulk of kind of you know green yeah. gamma spawn whatever or you could be like the guy you know the guy who could burst into flames and fly around or spider-man but you still had actually all these kind of quite relatable problems in your kind of non-superhero um non-superhero kind of identity really it didn't really offer a, a solution necessarily to all of those though that's not to say that there wasn't you know a, a definitely a sense of wish fulfillment um within it and i suppose we might dive into this a bit later it it can sometimes be a bad thing as well you know or perhaps slightly less good as well as 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 well as helpful really but i guess you're saying it can be also helpful but is there something helpful about it beyond the fantasy of wish fulfillment what's what's helpful about that because you all in different ways have actually had you know some ideas about okay how might that might this relate to you know psychological work i suppose yeah i think i i was kind of thinking then john about how it's the sort of relatability and the unrelatability it's that kind of that double dichotomy or whatever you would call it in the sense that they have these superhero identities that there is something special or gifted about them that makes them different but then a lot of the kind of adversity or challenges that they're facing might be very relatable to people in different ways and I guess they have sort of super ways of dealing with everyday challenges and and maybe there is a part of us that wishes that we did have a superpower that could help us you know um deal with loss or deal with you know the bully I really liked Al's example of that in terms of you know who wouldn't love to kind of 
be really strong or you know get some kind of uh dare i say it revenge <laughs> which is a thing yeah. that you often see in the superhero films isn't it that there's some kind of yeah revenge or retribution or some kind of uh sense of justice, justice perhaps absolutely. yeah in being able to use um your powers to somehow face whatever challenge you're facing i think that sorry just to say that in terms of that kind of that transformation arc isn't there when you're like contrasting that with as you said maybe things like Harry Potter where obviously there is an element of fantasy but maybe it's more of like the everyman as you say but this kind of like the imagery that you get (laughs) with superheroes that kind of yeah it's like a hyper hyper visual in terms of that superpowers and things that are beyond the ordinary that maybe like ramps that that transformation story up a, a little bit more than it does in in other genres or other films or books or things like that mm. and maybe yeah. that's the connection that it's it's something <laughs> that that's something that is needed that kind of really kind of visible strength or visible kind of overcoming of something um yeah. so how, how does it help us i suppose when i was a kid you know i would have loved to have you know swollen up and clobbered my foes kind of thing you know uh, uh, that that never you know that never happened i ended up with it you know i being quite an ordinary person really you know i suppose most of us are but i suppose i'm, I'm very interested first of all it was the notion of how we can really then start to mm-hmm. apply or use some of these ideas in in work really are are there because I know that Al you had some ideas and Lauren you had some ideas about this how do we apply this how do we apply this in in the work that we you know that we might do I suppose they're thinking particularly of therapeutic work I think it can be kind of a double-edged sword in the way because I I think in our previous discussions I was talking about thinking about like the neurodiversity and how a lot of the discussions around things like autism are kind of framing um, I guess neuroatypical traits as, as superpowers and, and how that can really connect for some people but I also think it can can also maybe be quite problematic in terms of you know what's expected and, and what's and what's what kind of what themes are around that and 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 is that really kind of a celebration of neurodiversity if we're framing some things as superpowers if we don't have those things what does that mean you know so I think I think there are ways that it can be helpful and un and unhelpful but I guess it 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 makes me think about kind of more narrative ideas about the stories that we construct or the stories that we help other people to to construct and what are the kind of thickening the narratives that that you can that there can be both and yeah yeah I see I've always liked the idea of you know some neurodiverse things as super as superpowers and I am I've always found that to be uh, you know something of a very positive kind of reframing and when you think about you know those lists of people who are subsequently diagnosed with autism for example you know after the you know Alan Turing and people like that you sort of think wow you know so some of these people are you know have actually moved humanity forward in in staggering ways that you know just would not have happened without them really or you kind of assume would not have happened without them but um, I suppose you're also saying there's a kind of down there's a downside to that as well in the sense that it is potentially quite othering yeah, what it makes me think of, John um, and Laura, around around the neurodiversity is uh, like the X Men um, franchise. So, what the X Men um, is a great sort of pathway in for uh, for some people to talk about is a sense of being different, 
and trying to find a community in which that difference can be really accepted and valued. And for, for me, working a lot with long-term health conditions, it really speaks to this idea about, for some very visible differences and for some people quite invisible differences, where um, people might be subject to stigma um, without the people around them even knowing that they're stigmatizing somebody through exclusionary language or through um, judgments about what's right or wrong or uh, good or bad ways of being in the world. And I think the X-Men has actually been been one of those sort of arcs and ideas, genres in, in superhero mythology that has really embraced the idea of difference and really embraced the idea of uh, alienation and otherness as being something that can be uh, really celebrated. Um, and in that sense, I think it's been picked up by by different organisations as well. So disability rights, um, there is a discussion around, there is a connection with with the X-Men in there. Gay rights, um, it was X-Men came out in the, I think it was in the, I want to say the 70s, probably someone listening might, might be able to correct me, but I think it was the 70s. And that was a, a time where there was a, um, a lot of, uh, strong uh, active gay rights movements and again they were kind of aligned to, to some of this idea and and even uh, having somebody like Ian McKellen playing one of the the leads in the X-Men movies um, sort of representing something around this I think that was a you know there's sort of a, a hark back to um, where the where the, the the power in some of these stories comes from in terms of their their time and place in which they originated the film of that was very interesting in terms of outsiderdom because it sort of the young Ian McKellen as you know what's it Magneto actually Mm. it doesn't it start in a concentration camp where he's using his his superpowers to you know kind of manipulate the shape of the the gate so the outsiders was also you know it was quite an audacious beginning actually it was about being Jewish really and and being and being persecuted so the film really kind of grounded you know grounded itself in that it speaks to some of the moral dilemmas. So if we look at, you've got the X-Men team that are headed up by Professor Charles Xavier, and you've got the um, the sort of the baddies, if you like, headed up by Magneto. Magneto and uh, Professor X have two different solutions to the problem about around exclusion. And we see this sort of played out in society. So you've got one idea, which is, we should try to make as little fuss as possible. We should try to integrate. We should try and... Um, help people to come onto our side and understand where we're coming from and involve us. And another position, which is these people will never understand. The majority will never understand us. It's about us standing up for ourselves and making our own community and working on our, by being uh, our own sort of strong and proud selves. And that's how we forge a future for ourselves through, through sort of exclusion or you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the X-Men franchise about, you know, exterminating the humans, that kind of thing. But, but you can see as a, as a moral choice, there's something very sort of compelling about both of those options. And I think that this actually does show up sometimes in our clinic rooms in terms of how do I respond to dilemmas in my life? What is the best way of dealing with this? I, I'm, I'm mixed, uh, I'm ambivalent about best way forward is and I really kind of associate with something a bit darker in me that might be a little bit more kind of magneto-esque and something a little bit more uh, sympathetic toward other people and the struggles that might be a little bit more kind of Charles Xavier-esque if you see what I mean. So how does that how do we take that into the therapy room with people how do we take these ideas into the therapy 
room with people because I agree that that kind of struggle is one that's been played out in in a number of different right struggles kind of over decades, centuries, really. Um, I'm thinking of civil rights in the in the USA in the 60s. Actually, there was very much a kind of I think perhaps that split is slightly modelled on on some of you know the different positions in those in those struggles. Somebody was wondering how do we how do we bring these ideas in? So I was just thinking about um, the power threat meaning framework as mm -hmm. Al was speaking there. Mm. Um, and I, I want to just say a teeny bit about what that is. <laughs> of first. course. The power threat meaning framework is a psychological framework that has been developed as an alternative to psychiatric diagnoses. And it's really kind of reframing what we traditionally think about as symptoms in terms of threat responses and kind of thinking about it in the context of people's lives and the different sort of power structures and the different threats and meanings that they're making of their experiences. Um, so I suppose when I think about how we could use sort of superheroes within that in kind of trying to help people understand the framework, we could really think about how um, sort of power in itself like isn't necessarily the problem. I think this is a really good metaphor that you could kind of use like linked to what Al was saying about um, Magneto and Charles Xavier in terms of perhaps they, they both hold power but then the way that they choose to kind of like use it and, you know, um, who they choose to use it against differs in a sense. So um, within the power threat meaning framework, they talk about how, yeah, the power imbalance is what creates the issue and what creates the problem for people. So if it's two superheroes potentially kind of like fighting each other, I guess perhaps that's a bit more of a, an equal fight, but when, other people, you know, like the, the villains, I suppose, in these films, when they are going against people who don't have the same powers than them, then they are kind of taking advantage of that and creating sort of more adversity and more sort of situations mm. um, that mm. have those kind of ripple effects. But I think for me, um, something that I think about when I am kind of uh, working therapeutically is making sense of, you know, how people have learn how to survive and how people cope with like the different yeah, adversities that they've come through and I guess when we think about those threat responses you know becoming a superhero or becoming a villain could be part of that and when we think about the fight and flight response and all of that like how we then try and cope with these things and how for some people I guess there are superheroes you know I'm thinking of Spider-Man at times and I'm sure lots of others yeah. where they decide that they're just going to kind of take a step back from it and they're going to try and not kind of embrace that part of their identity and try and sort of live as their, their normal inverted commas selves or their non-super selves um, or other times where, you know, where they choose that they have to fight and they have to kind of do these things. And I'll just say one more thing about sort of therapeutic application, not the power threat reading framework, which is that I think thinking about values with people, I think using superheroes as a way of kind of thinking about that almost as a superpower or thinking about that as a way of living you know in accordance with your values can be really helpful for people when they are in going through really difficult things or could you flush you know, that out a wee bit Gina uh, just yeah in terms I of what you mean by values <laughs> yeah sure I guess um that sometimes when I meet people and they're having a really difficult time and they're struggling to think about 
you know, their reasons for living potentially connecting to someone's values and someone's purpose is a way of potentially reconnecting them to that hope and that sense of identity. Um, and I think that is something that we see within the superhero stories in terms of when they have lost people or when they, you know, are facing these challenges, how this sense of purpose, whether it is to, you know, help vulnerable people or, you know, stop big powerful baddies from doing bad things whatever it might be that that then helps helps people give a reason to keep going um mm. and to not maybe get so stuck in mm. in the challenges that they're facing this is a bit of a tangent but it was making me think a little bit about like the connection to clinical work and obviously I work in cams with, with children and, and young people and thinking about how how difficult it can be to for all of us children and adults included to kind of like name and connect with emotions and that feeling of like maybe doing some of that externalizing work by you know if people are saying oh, I got so angry and I turned into the Hulk or you know this yeah. was the, the feeling and that that kind of imagery and that can be a really helpful way of kind of positioning that kind of outside of yourself and, and allowing people to explore that but it, I guess conversely it made me think a little bit about who some of those images are accessible to and I'm sure we'll kind of get to those themes and maybe this reflects on my own kind of introduction to the superhero mm. world about connecting with this feeling of otherness and and maybe as we said before about the beginnings and adversity and that definitely resonates in terms of my experiences in the world but then if I think about the imagery and who gets to have that story of otherness and transformation and redemption and and thinking even more so I think like you know about the the impact of things like Black Panther and how that was such a, a pivotal moment but if I think for myself if oh you know what who gets to have that story if we're thinking about like um x-men or i'm like a big fan of the umbrella academy like are there mm. are there people who look like me as a black person in the world who get to have that experience of other otherness kind of justified in a way and then it, what the challenges might be if we're using those types of references clinically and then also thinking about as you said that power imbalance if we're kind of using those as frames of reference references who does that exclude um and who does that kind of yeah what do we leave out when we're when we're thinking about using those as tools to help us clinically I don't know if that's a those are things that other people have been thinking about but I think again it's this kind of double-edged sword that it can there can be something helpful but then also there might be something that's maybe a bit problematic as well about using those as, as frames of references I wonder if Black Panther, I mean, this was one of my takeaways from that was some of the things that you're saying, Lauren, that they attempted to try and take on and almost redress tons of that, maybe too much kind of all at once, really, I mean, the amount of stuff that was in there, you know, that it was trying to look at, you know, the legacy of colonialism and a sense of what it was like to have, you know, belief systems totally torn away and decontextualized from their origins and all this. I mean, there's just so much in there. Actually, it's, you know, I, I really recommend anyone who hasn't seen it actually uh, watching it because, you know, it really does take things to quite an interesting and and deep level, but it tries to redress so many of those things. Who gets to have the story, uh, um, mm. you know, kind of all at once, really? Um, but that is a really interesting question, actually. Who does get to have the, you know, who does get to have the story, and uh, and what are the problems with using, mm. you know, with using those those things? What do What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree. I think um, 
as a as a genre, I think the super superhero genre has has been quite slow to respond to these kinds of concerns around um, serving minoritized groups or even I say even um, women. I mean, the comics have been predominantly been targeted toward young boys, and so the portrayals of uh females in superheroes superhero comics are often sort of problematic not there are some good exceptions but there are you know some again sort of problematized kind of stories in there and i agree what that does it limits how accessible these ideas are when we're thinking about how we could apply them in, in for example with your setting lauren um young boys and young girls i mean in your experience lauren has, has it um has the black panther trope um had a resonance in in the clinic in the clinic room or not necessarily for me in the clinic room but I think for me personally I think it definitely felt like it was this you know everyone that I spoke to everyone was going to see it multiple times Mm -hmm. and it very much felt like a like a a moment and it felt like it was something that regardless of what your opinion is about you know superheroes or that type of genre that everyone wanted to be part of that and I think kind of what you were saying John in terms of this maybe a a, a glimpse into what what the world might have looked like if things were different and I think for me that feels like it, it feels really needed it feels really kind of powerful to for that to be kind of that that landscape of Wakanda and, and thinking about the imagery then and, and contrasting that maybe with other imagery kind of what you were saying Al about maybe if I'm thinking about things like Catwoman and maybe issues of colorism so maybe lighter skinned women or more sexualized kind of imagery whereas I think when I think about the women in Wakanda and it, you know darker skinned powerful strong women I don't mm. think I've seen themes like that in that type of kind of yeah universe before so yeah it hasn't really come out in terms of for me clinically and, and thinking about who, who has access to those stories it's more been a reflection based on on these conversations now but yeah I, I wonder now that there is maybe a shift to, to be thinking a bit more differently about representation and inclusion and now I think we spoke before about um Miles Morales in in the, the Spider-Man oh. like universe and and I was reading on Twitter about um I think a librarian or someone in the comic book sh- uh, shop kind of having experience with a young a young black boy and saying that that person looks like me and how that how important that is that for there yeah. to be that kind of connection and to think actually this can include me too this this can you know that's not off limits um to me so I, mm. I think as you say maybe it has been a bit slower to shift and obviously you know, my perspective as a, a black person might be more centered in terms of race, but in terms of other aspects of um, diversity and inclusion, who, yeah, who, what, what things are we missing or what, or what groups are we kind of leaving out of that, of that story? Well, or reasonably ordinary woman, I think for a very yeah, long time, sure. as Al said, simply because of any superheroes I saw when I was younger, even up until quite recently, all had to be, you know, like just fantastically beautiful film stars effectively mm. I, rem- I remember it being quite a big deal um in some things i read what was it captain marvel was played um was it by brie larson and she had a brie haircut larson. that wasn't really sort of you know all about the sort of male gaze i mean that was seen as like a relatively big uh big deal whereas previously it was all these you know hyper 
beautiful like you know like Halle Berry or Scarjo or, or you know or, or whatever it was and I, I don't know I mean I'm speaking as a bloke um about this but it, it, I suppose thinking about it again it did strike me of just some of the slightly more limited room sometimes women have to maneuver on really I, I wonder if you have any sort of uh, thoughts about that Gina as somebody who was perhaps into yeah. these things when you were when you were younger and what those kind of if you like models did or didn't allow you know didn't uh, yeah. allow you definitely so I think that for me I I do come from a position of, of privilege definitely white privilege within all of this and I grew up with a lot of sort of male friends, like male family friends. And so I think that there was a lot of me being the only girl playing with lots of little boys <laughs> and probably that's what they were into. And there was probably an element of like, okay, I'm going to be into this as well. Um, but I think for me, I never, in, in the superhero realm anyway I was a big Xena Warrior Princess fan but that's that's a different podcast yeah I think that I, I always aspired to be like the men in the superhero movies and for me it didn't really feel like a significant barrier when I was you know wearing the outfits and I was playing the games because mm. it was all kind of free and imaginative um but I can't help but think about you know people in other contexts people with different you know intersecting identities probably wouldn't have had that experience mm. and maybe wouldn't have mm. felt that they could um so mm. easily step into those those identities mm. yeah. I, I was wondering about that in terms of sort of gender in terms of comics um i, I interesting that you mentioned that spider-man into the spider-verse um film lauren because they uh, i watched the video about that a while ago and they referenced the book about comic writing which I went off and assiduously read and one of the really big things that I think they made something of in that which is to a certain extent there in comics to an extent is the idea that you know the mask is not unique anyone can kind of wear the mask really and that was one of the big sort of takeaways you know there was these incredibly sort of um you know odd range of you know odd range of characters and you know sometimes that was something that was a bit more um, evident in comics rather than superheroes like people like you know Robert Crumb or the Ghost World comics or things like that you know that you would get these um, you know particularly uh, women who were you know actually not at all what you would expect um, and not at all what would kind of be allowed or kind of permitted at that point in a kind of superhero mm -hmm. universe so I do get the impression that something might change I mean it makes it a bit more difficult really with um you know Marvel films and things because everyone's got to be so kind of uber buff and beautiful really for the most part it's kind of like mm -hmm. it's a bit hard to be to feel perhaps that you're being invited to to take on the to take on the mask um, you know at that point because they're all like you know Hollywood amazing kind of thing you know which is just obviously not really you know real you know it doesn't feel very real or accessible to to, yeah. to people but still part of that and I suppose this is something that underlines uh, underlies a lot of what you're saying is one of the upsides of superheroes and superhero thinking for me was as a kid was that there was something that potentially got got you to be in touch with something stronger or a sense of strength or inspiration and you Al mentioned Philip Zimbardo and some of the stuff he'd done on that I wondered if that might be a good moment just to say a teeny bit about that Yes, so people are probably familiar with Phil Zimbardo in terms of um, his uh, studies oh, decades ago now, looking at 
uh, the role of uh, putting people into social roles and how it impacts people and um, the sort of notorious studies in, in that area. And he subsequently sort of moved on in his career to think um, about uh, the, I think he talks about devils and angels. I think that was one of his, one of his books. And he's really sort of lent into this idea about um, developing sort of pro-social attitudes. And um, he's set up uh, a superhero academy, I think it is, for, uh, aimed at um, instilling uh, virtues and values and ideas uh, around heroism. And actually, he steps away from using uh, superheroes as um, the sort of key, the core currency of this, but thinking more about everyday heroism and using sort of psychology uh, principles from social psychology, such as um, trying to, to get away from um, diffusion of responsibility and the bystander effect and actually getting people to think about how um, that what their responsibility is and civic virtues and that sort of thing and uh, really with um, a push toward um, having having heroic values as a uh, way of I guess as a way of uh, creating a community that everyone wants to live in where, where people are pro-social and altruistic um, but I, I actually see a lot of connection with superhero ideas but i think that the point that he was raising is exactly well it's very similar to the point you were raising john about how approachable or unapproachable the the lofty ideals of you know who's going to be superman right who's going to have that kind of in, unimpeachable moral ethic and, and the, the the force to back it up or to do impossible things right so rather than setting our expectations so high that we just think oh we're never gonna i'm never gonna be superman so what's the point i'm just gonna be you know every man but thinking more about um how i can be better than i am how i can evolve in a way that's going to uh yeah to help me feel like i'm i'm acting at my my heroic best if you like given whatever limitations we have of just being you know mere flesh and blood <laughs> Do we think that's useful? Sometimes I like being invited to be at my heroic best. Sometimes I just feel intimidated by it. What do, what do we think? I think um, this relates a bit to the idea that was going on in the pandemic where we were the kind of NHS heroes, right? Um, and I was seeing posters everywhere of kind of, yeah, Spider-Man and whatnot, um, Superman, it, you know, with the NHS logo mm. on their chest. And it, it was this very sort of powerful imagery and I think that there was you know personally a part of me that that felt quite nice about that you know that we were being positioned as important and you know valued and all the rest of it but at the same time it did at a time you know that was really challenging for most people and you know where a lot of us were feeling at our most vulnerable it was almost like we couldn't really sit with that and we couldn't just acknowledge the fact that that we were perhaps all feeling very vulnerable and you know at risk um that we had to almost put on this superhero persona to almost protect us from the reality of of working in the nhs at a time that was was really difficult um and i think that maybe for some people it made it much harder to voice that vulnerability and to talk about some of the challenges um which then i think definitely you know increased burnout for people and kind of you know people leaving and finding it really hard because it was you know this immense pressure that you had to be this NHS superhero that mm. you know was was really hard to kind of embody at the time. Well you were all working directly in the NHS at that 
point i i wasn't you know the clapping for the nhs was there a was there a downside to you know you being our heroes i didn't personally feel like a hero <laughs> um <laughs> and i think yeah i had this weird kind of yeah dissonance in terms of that that imagery and not not necessarily connecting with that and i guess maybe it, it reflects my position obviously i was working um I wasn't working in frontline services or, you know the way that I was working at the start of the pandemic shifted dramatically in terms of switching quickly to doing kind of more virtual stuff so maybe if I was in a different position and, and feeling like I was more in the thick of it maybe I might have connected more with that idea of being a superhero but yeah I think echoes echo what Gina's saying in terms mm. of this that pressure or that that feeling that that's not sustainable and kind of thinking about kind of what you're saying about threat responses and and what what is kind of elicited and sometimes that's not sustainable being in that kind of fight and, and taking up your armor and, and embodying that superhero image I don't think that that's the position that could be sustainable for an individual and it makes me think about this kind of if we're asked to be superheroes on that individual level what do, what do we miss on that kind of systemic or, or collective level what you know why does it kind of get why does it sit with us as individual people and, and mm. does that kind of take away from the responsibility of of the of the wider systems I know that's yeah. a very big and maybe yeah. potentially political uh question to to pose but I, I think that's the dilemma about you know going back to, I haven't really read into the whole Zimbardo movement and his rebrand from from um, the prisoner experiment to something yeah. maybe that's a bit more thinking about as you said, everyday heroism, but then is that something that's both on the like micro and macro level that you're encouraging individuals to be everyday heroes, but how can you be an everyday hero when the systems that you're in are maybe not in alignment with that? Mm. But I'm not sure, yeah, maybe Simbardo's got mm. different ideas mm. <laughs> about the individual and the, the collective. No, I, I agree with you. And I think what you could be seeing there at a larger level is then actually taking away collective responsibility um, by putting it all on, you know, frontline workers as NHS heroes. I guess another theme that, that's coming out of this, which which speaks to maybe um, uh, some of the difficulties around using superheroes as a, as, a, as a therapeutic tool, if you like, is this issue of sustainability and fatigue. So we know that at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of uh, NHS workers actually really did uh, experience uh, some benefit from being associated with this idea of heroism, a kind of, we're all in this together, we're gonna get through this together. There's an adrenaline associated with that. There's a, a sense of momentum that comes with that, but it's how long that you can sustain that for. I think for acute phases, that might help get you through particularly troubling times, but when a pandemic lasts two plus years, um, what it does is exactly like Gina and Lauren, you were saying, it, it creates a sense of um, uh, disconnect, a, a kind of dissonance between, well, I ought to be this way, but actually I'm exhausted now. I've, I've, I've had too much. And who's here to rescue me? Who's here to save me from the burning building kind of thing? And the open-ended nature of that, I remember being very struck by that as the pandemic went on. There was an ad that did the rounds for a little while about, yeah, we've done all these things. It was almost like, you know, we're all heroes. We've stayed at home. We've done this. We've done that. You know, and the, this, the kind of end line for the advert was, let's go on doing it. And you're thinking, what? 
Oh, you know, I thought you were going to tell me it was going to be over a little bit. Um, And there is something unsustainable about it. I was wondering, though, also, just before we end, because we probably will have to end reasonably soon, that we are into kind of talking about maybe some of the downsides as well. And there are perhaps downsides. I mean, don't get me wrong. Actually, I found these things incredibly helpful to me when I was a kid, actually, and into my early teens. They made a really big difference to me, actually, and I I don't want to minimize that. But also there was a point where I became kind of slightly embarrassed about them. And I think part of the embarrassment, I, I would be trying to interrogate what that was about. And part of it was about that there was a kind of moral simplicity that was at least potentially there, you know, where our world was really split up into goodies and baddies, you know. So if you're a Spider-Man, you'd swing in and smash up somebody who was, you know, mugging an old lady or something like that. You know, there was nothing, you know, there was nothing more complicated complex to it than that and unfortunately it's a, it's a mindset that you still well i certainly i wrote something about gun control um during the just after the sandy hook um shootings god that must be almost 10 years ago it's shocking to think and obviously now we're talking in the in the aftermath of another really horrible mass shooting and I, after i wrote that article i clearly people who are going to look around the internet for, you know, for these articles and they give you the same messages in the comments and they found mine and it was just like, yeah, we need guns in the hands of good people and, you know, out of the hands of bad people, you know, it was just this very binary kind of goodies, baddies kind of mentality, which I think even when I was 15, I kind of realized probably wasn't really quite real life, though there's obviously a lot of other complexity here, which I think does get lost about, about superheroes there are these downsides as well john can i take it back into the, the clinic room for a second I'm, yeah I'm sure yeah no please time so um i guess what we haven't really named so so clearly but i think what you're speaking to and where i think using the superhero law and mythology as a as a way in to talk about struggle and difficulty with with individuals in distress is thinking about the superhero origin the origin story where often it's people experiencing uh, like we've mentioned before stigma but also loss and trauma we could use the example of you know peter parker and spider-man being probably the most well-known superhero is is the obvious example of losing both his parents at an undisclosed early age but also then losing his uncle as as a a route in for understanding the motivation behind the choices that superheroes make and i think what can be really powerful for for clients there is to think yes that's an experience that i can identify with i can see the pain there and i can see potentially a route out of this so this is a um, a term that we might sometimes talk about as post-traumatic growth in in the literature and the industry this idea that actually we can re-establish a sense of what's important to us through our pain. We can, going back to Gina's point about values, we can get a clearer sense of what our values are, what really matters to us, how we want to be in the world, and how we can um, apply ourselves in a meaningful way. But I think what that, uh, speaking to the, some of the under, the difficult parts of, of using superhero law, is that it sometimes it underplays just how miserable miserable experiences can be and that for some people there isn't redemption there's just a lot of pain and i'm thinking about working with people with long-term health conditions people have a lot of beliefs about what the future is going to hold for them they're entirely accurate but also very scary and very unpleasant right and to think that oh well let's find the post-traumatic growth out of this can sometimes feel a little bit sort of patronizing or demeaning of somebody's experience so i think it's something that needs to be kind of dealt with carefully i think but it's definitely 
um, in my experience, when I've used these ideas, it's definitely been a nice in for people to go, oh yeah, no, I do get why I'm, I'm making some of these decisions that I'm making to manage my difficult emotions because I associate, yeah, that's what happened to that person, that's what happened to that character there, or I really feel excluded by other people like these these X-Men characters were or something. And actually, yeah, you're right, I can make some different choices. So in, in aggregate, I would say it's it's been beneficial, but I definitely think that you know there's a word of caution there about how how liberally we apply these ideas without taking a big dose of realism. Some sense there are invitations within the superhero genre into all sorts of interesting complexity. I'm thinking, Gina, you actually didn't you go to an exhibition that's on in London at the moment uh, at the Foundling Museum that touched on some of that. I, I quite fancy that exhibition actually, and I'll put a link to it when we uh, publish this in the in the show notes. But that seemed to touch on this idea of you know strange origins and you know um, loss and orphans and foundlings and things like that. Yeah, it was a really good uh, exhibition that I would definitely recommend um, at the, is it the Foundling Museum, um, which is, I think, near Russell Square in London. And um, yeah, it was sort of looking at lots of different themes. So thinking about superheroes specifically, there was also some anime that I wasn't very familiar with there as well, if that's people's thing. Um, it was kind of thinking about this idea of of how how through those experiences of of in Superman's case, you know, becoming an orphan and not having that sense of kind of home, how that then creates, um, I guess, a context where you are kind of like seeking out that sense of community maybe elsewhere and how, you know, the sort of superhero community does create this sense of a family in a way. Um, and I think that it has been really meaningful for a lot of people who who have had that experience in particular who have maybe lost parents or something like that I know that I think Batman as well has had that Superman there's a lot of them where I think um it's almost like they're seeking a sort of chosen family perhaps within the mm. within the superhero realm I think we're kind of coming around to time actually uh now, I know, Lauren, that you're in a, an NHS setting, which is uh, in demand as well, really. But uh, thanks for that. Just uh, Is there any, any other sort of just have final thoughts just before we uh, before we, we stop on this? Because it, I don't know, it's, I feel it's almost slightly kind of slightly re rescued. Thinking about this is slightly kind of rescued superheroes for me a little bit, even just planning for this. Uh, because in, I say in many ways, that, that it's reminded me that, that superheroes did quite a lot for me, actually, at, at some point and, you know, at some point in my, uh, you know, in my life. And, I'd, and, you know, I've got teenage kids and, you know, there's the possibility that that can, you know, that can still happen. It's yeah. making me think a little bit about kind of, um, I guess in the beginning, I was talking about the strong imagery, but then also recognizing more about this like nuance and about the different layers and levels and kind of what you were saying, Al, about maybe the two camps in X-Men in terms of Professor X and Magneto. And it was mm. making me think of kind of what you were saying in terms of civil rights about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. And, and maybe this feeling that you have to be one or the other. And maybe actually mm. it's about just acknowledging that there's there's nuance and there's and it's mm. about the meaning that you make. So I, I imagine that underneath some of those kind of really strong themes, there are similar 
complexities or similar meanings and, and actually maybe thinking about how we enact this in the different, you know, whether it's in CAMS, whether it's in adult services, whether it's in academia or just our roles in like being humans about kind of like unpacking some of the nuances and, and like just putting it out there that there's this and this rather than it has to be either or if that makes sense because mm-hmm. I think sometimes that's probably the the pull of of this type of genre that it is very much like good versus evil and and redemption over like you know mm-hmm. adversity and it, okay. it make puts it in these camps that you kind of think okay it's it's this or that but even within that there is a way to to acknowledge the the nuance and the mm-hmm. complexity so maybe not as striking as I originally thought I've come full circle now <laughs> well you're well, going to into Melanie Klein and the depressive position in a minute, which is where I kind of <laughs> always end up. So I won't, I won't go there. Uh, well, well f- fully embracing the nerd um, position for a minute. Uh, what that's made me think of, Lauren, is how we could probably have another podcast entirely about antiheroes and the role that they've played. We're talking about nuance. Um, the, the, the hero that I've always identified most with is the uh, Wolverine character where actually he's just walking around really stroppy a lot of the time. You know, a lot of terrible stuff's happened to him. He can't remember half of it, but he knows he's, he knows he's pissed off about things, right? And he, he's not a pleasant person to be around. He drink, drinks, he smokes, he drives too fast and everything. Um, but he, he kind of does the right thing in the end. And I think there's... So there's there's a sort of a superhero for everybody, really. There is... <laughs> and I think, I think the anti-hero might be one where we could actually... Um, leverage a little bit more uh, in terms of what we do clinically because I think that we can speak to that bridging the gap between these two positions of actually being ambivalent about wh- which, which position to hold. I'll remember that you'll get there in the end even though you may be stroppy and grumpy and you know identify <laughs> yes. with identify with that I'll just be careful about how I deal with yeah. you. And, <laughs> But shall we stop uh, there, guys? Does that does that seem a, a decent place to to stop? In that case, I just I can't just can't thank you enough actually for getting this going again, uh, Gina and Lauren and Al for suggesting it. Really, it's just so nice to be able to think about stuff that's not really the pandemic and actually just think about how some wider issues you know just pertain to the work, really, and what. And what are ways and narratives into helping people? And there are some things about this that that I think really clearly are. I hope we've done some kind of job at breaking those down. But um, on that, I would just say bye bye. Thanks, guys. It's really nice to see you all again. Thanks for interesting discussions. And yeah, look forward to hearing the finished product. Mm